All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Continuing our sermon series, going through the Gospel of Mark, we will finish come Easter of 2022 with the resurrection of Jesus according to the Gospel of Mark. And so for homework, what I'd like for us to be doing as a church is reading and rereading the Gospel of Mark. So it's 16 chapters. I would set a goal at least to read through the Gospel of Mark once a month. So January, February, March, and then April. We'll have a good grasp of what we see and what we hear in the life of Jesus. And so we're in Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first 17 verses. Mark chapter 2. Are we ready? Let's get to work. When he entered Capernaum, again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that was there that there was no room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Verse 13, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. Then passing, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a toll booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were the Pharisees saw that they were eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that it dives deep into our hearts and into our minds, help us see you through your word and help us change. Father, there are so many people in the room today coming uh, this morning with so many different things going on in their lives. And yet today, Lord, I ask that you help them see that their greatest need is for your son, Jesus. And then, Father, I pray that once we know Jesus, we help others come to know him. Help us be as urgent as these four friends were and help us be as intentional as Jesus is in calling people to Himself. Father, I'm asking You to do what only You can do in our lives and our hearts. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So first off, right off the bat, in chapter 2, we see Jesus gets after your deepest need. And, and this is the thing, you know, and I know, what our deepest need is. Right? And that's what we see in the text. And so let's walk through this. First off, in verse 1 and 2, you see that there's a hunger for the Word of God. And I think this is interesting. When we read 13, Jesus is out by the sea and He's walking and He's teaching them. People are gathering together, flocking to Jesus to hear the Word of God. Now, what you're going to notice in this passage is there's so many application points. And I want us to see the main point, but I want you to see here, just as a side note, Jesus is busy about the Word, and we know the Word. Right? We saw Jesus last week. He calls people to repent, turn from their sin, and believe the good news. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's His message. And that's what He's teaching people. And so He's at home in Capernaum, and people start showing up. They show up so much so that it's a packed house. You can't even get in the door. Now, look around. This is a pretty good crew for a Sunday morning, knowing that school's on NTI and COVID, and people are sick and traveling. This is a pretty good crew to gather, but is it packed? No. Would you say that in today's time, at your workplace, in your schools, in our neighborhoods, would you say that there's a hunger for the Word of God? Not really. Not really hungry for the things of God. And so right here, what I saw this week and what I apply, I want to pray and ask God to give a hunger for His Word among the people. And then, and then I want us that know the Word of God to speak the Word of God. Cincinnati Bengals, last week had a big win, right? Hey, I'm just liking that we have some Bengals gear in here instead of Browns. That's the right shade of orange over here on this side. Oh, yeah. Next year. You, next year. <laughs> but it, it wasn't hard to talk about the Bengals this past week, right? We were excited about what they did. They accomplished something. Now, here's my question. How come it's so hard to talk about what Jesus has accomplished for us? My guess is we have way more passion for the Bengals than we do the Son of God. It shouldn't be strange for people that have been transformed and saved by Jesus to speak about Jesus. And so right off the bat, what we see in this account with Jesus healing the paralytic and Jesus calling the tax collector, we see that he's constantly speaking the Word of God. He is consumed with the Word of God. That's his message. And that should be our message. And my prayer is that people become hungry for the Word of God. Dig into the Gospel and what you're going to find out I'll use this illustration. I'm a little bit embarrassed by it. It took me to the age of 39, which is what I am now, to finally man up and just go coffee, black, no cream, no sugar. Right? And what I found out was the more that I drank coffee, black, becomes an acquired taste. And now I don't miss the cream and sugar. What you're going to find out is as you dig into the Word, you're like, ah, I don't really like to read. The Word comes alive in your heart. And you start to crave what you feed on. And that's why the challenge is read the Gospel of Mark. It's 16 chapters. You can do it. No matter what reading level, no matter what age, you can read the Gospel of Mark. And what you're going to find out, in, as you find out is once you start feeding on the Word of God, the hunger for the Word of God is going to increase. And you'll start consuming the Bible. All right. Let's get back to the text. So 
you see that they were hungry for the word of God. And then you got four friends that bring a paralytic to Jesus, carrying him on a mat. Do you see the urgency and the relentlessness of these four friends? So the paralyzed man can't help them out. And I want us to see this because they had so many excuses. One, Jesus is traveling. They could have said to the paralyzed man, hey, we don't even know if he's still going to be there by the time we get there. They had to walk and carry him like, listen, we don't know if this is going to work out. We're, we're going to carry you there. That's a lot of effort. Then they get there and there's a crowd like, ah, oh, man, we tried. We tried, but we can't get you there. And, and then they climb up on this house and they're like, oh, <laughs> there's no sunroof up here. We can't damage this guy's house. But they don't. They just keep taking the next step. They are relentless in bringing this man to Jesus. And that should be us. I think an awesome challenge for 2022, never show up to a Sunday gathering alone. Bring somebody with you. Invite. Please. I've invited one guy multiple times, and I always get Easter. The problem was Easter has come and gone twice already since I've asked him. And guess what I'm going to do this year? I'm going to try to figure out a way to get him here this Easter. But I just keep asking. I keep trying to get him here. Some people say, no, nah, I'm not interested in that. I had one person, I'm, I'm not a church person. Nobody in my family goes to church. I'm not doing it. But now it went from I'm never coming to, ah, I might try it out. And I'm just going to keep asking. I'm going to keep taking the step. Because here's the deal. What you see in this text, the person you're inviting might not be paralyzed, but they are in a far worse condition than that man. And their need is still only met by getting to Christ. Now, you don't have to bring people to a church building to get them to Jesus. You know Jesus. And Jesus is on the move. You can take it to Him. But be relentless in getting people to Jesus. That's what these four friends were doing. And then, I think this is interesting. They finally lower Him down and He lands. Like, oh, he didn't fall off His mat. We didn't kill him trying to carry him. We got him right there, right in front of Jesus. And they're like, all right, this is the moment we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, what do you think the paralyzed man was thinking at that time? What do you think his four friends were thinking? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. We got to carry this guy back? Right? It's, it's, like, it's almost like Jesus misses the point, isn't it? Now, I will say this, somebody missed the point, but you know it's not Jesus. The friends and the paralyzed man missed it. You see, Jesus is saying there's something greater that you need than healing physically. Your sin is separating you from the God that created you. You're looking for joy and purpose and a meaningful life, and you think healing will bring it. And Jesus is saying, that's not the answer. I'm the answer. Your sins are forgiven. Now, this is very, very important. I want us to see this. Um, I'm trying to, to give a, a good definition for sin and what sin, sin is. And Camden, I told you guys last week, got a bow and arrow for Christmas. You, you put up a target and you shoot it. Well, we're still working on that. But several times we'll miss the box, the target that we set up. She misses the mark. Well, in life, you were created by God for God's standard. 
and we miss the mark. God has designed us to live a certain way for His glory. And all of us in the room have missed the mark. We don't live for God. We don't live for His glory. We live for ourselves. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And I'll try to, to explain it this way. Let's say Camden. Camden's in fourth grade. She's our third daughter. Let's say after church today, we go home and she goes, Dad, you know what? I'm tired of following your rules in this house. You know what? We went to, to Crumble. We went. Julianne went to Crumble. Six cookies. Great place for cookies. Awesome cookies. Terrible if you're trying to cut weight. Let's say we go home and Camden says, you know what, Dad? I don't care how many cookies you say I can have. I'm taking all six. And then she gets tired tonight and she goes, Dad, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit tired. Mondays aren't a great day at school for me. I'm going to sleep in. I'm not waking up or going to school tomorrow. I don't care what you say. She goes to sleep, wakes up about 11 o'clock, comes back to her cookies and eats some more of them. And then she gets mad because now she's the only daughter that can walk that doesn't have a cell phone. She says, Dad, I'm taking your cell phone. I'm not waiting anymore. Now, how do you think that would go? Not well. But you know what? There are millions and millions of people that do that every day to the God that created them. And the honor and respect that is due me for being Camden's dad is infinitely greater, the respect that I owe God. The, the gap between dad and father, earthly dad, earthly daughter, and the gap between creator and created is infinitely greater. And yet, how many times do we ignore God? God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what you're calling me to. This is what I'm doing. It's funny when we're talking about a daughter, because we know that's not going to happen. That's not going to fly. And yet it is eternally devastating when we do that before God. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Hey, man, you're coming for a need, but that's not your greatest need is what he's saying. We'll go on just a little bit more here. Tim Keller puts it this way, and I think this is helpful. Sin is ignoring God in the world he has made. It's rebelling against him by living without reference to him. Is that you? Do you make it through Mondays and Tuesdays without thinking about God? Without living for His glory? It's saying, I will decide exactly how to live my life. And Jesus says, that is our main problem. Jesus is saying to this paralytic, by coming to me and asking for only your body to be healed, you're not going deep enough. You have underestimated the depths of your longings and the longings of your heart. And then he shares this story from Cynthia Heimel. Cynthia Heimel wrote for uh, this Village Post magazine, and she got to know some celebrities. And, and this is what she added to the conversation, talking about when people pursue what they mistakenly believe is their greatest need. All right, so listen to what she has to say. She said, through the years, I have known celebrities that were struggling actors and actresses, working in restaurants and punching tickets at theaters to pay their bills, and then they became famous. While they were struggling... They would say, if only I could make it in the business, if only I had this or that, I would be happy. They were like so many other people, stressed, driven, easily upset. But when they actually got the fame that they had been longing for, Cynthia said that they became insufferable, unstable, and angry. Not just arrogant, as you might expect, worse than that. They were now unhappier than they used to be wiping ta down tables. She goes on to say, I feel bad for celebrities. No, I really do. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than anything, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed, but the morning after each of them became famous, 
They became depressed because the giant thing they were striving for, that fame, was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness. When that happened and nothing changed, and they were still them, the disillusionment became insufferable. And then she concludes with this, and I thought this was a powerful statement. She goes, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. All right, now this is important because I want us to understand all of us have this mistake, right? There's so many athletes that I've coached throughout the years, if they could just get the scholarship or if I could just win the championship or if I could just get into this college or uh, doing marriage counseling, if I could just, uh, my marriage stinks, if I could just find the right spouse or a single person, if I could just get married. There's always something that we're striving for, that if we had, we would be happy. And I think this is, this is powerful. Keller concludes, you know what Jesus is saying to this paralyzed man? I'm not going to play that rotten joke on you. I'm not going to just heal your body and let you think you've gotten your deepest need met. I think that's pretty powerful. You see, he could have healed this man and he would have been fine. How, how long would that joy last? Weeks, months, years. And let's say that this man lived a long life, but does that help him for eternity? Mm -mm. And Jesus knew that. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. Almost always, when we come to Jesus and say, this is my deepest need, Jesus, this is what I need you to answer. Almost always, Jesus will come back and say, you're not going deep enough. What is your heart longing for right now? What are you striving after that? Man, if I just had this, I'd be happy. I'd make it. If you answer with anything but Jesus, it will not last. Jesus says that your deepest need is for him and that in him you have forgiveness of sin. You can have a relationship with God. That is your deepest need. And God is eternally satisfying. So we go back to the text and Jesus says this. We don't know exactly what the paralyzed man was thinking. We don't know exactly what the friends were thinking. But we know what the scribes were thinking. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't say that type of stuff. Is what they're saying. Only God can forgive sin. Now it's interesting. They don't say that out loud. Right? Jesus has this crowd. They don't want to turn the crowd on themselves. But that's what they're thinking and interesting, like right now, all of you guys are thinking something, but I have no idea what you're thinking. I don't know that. I'm limited, right? My, my mind, I have no idea what you're thinking. But you want to know who's not limited? Jesus. And the scribes are saying only God can forgive sin, but only God can also know the thoughts of your hearts. And that's exactly what Jesus does right here. After knowing what's in their heart, he says, why are you saying this? And then he goes, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. Now, real quick, that Son of Man is Jesus' favorite des description of himself. And I want you to hear this. The reason why he keeps on saying Son of Man is because everybody in the room knows exactly who he's talking about when he gives himself that title. It's going back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. This is where we see the Son of Man. And it's a future vision of what God is going to do. It says, and suddenly one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached Ancient of Days, who is the Father, and he escorted before him. 
He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. That's who Jesus is referring to when He calls Himself the Son of Man. And now He's showing them that the kingdom is going to be made up with people whose sins are forgiven. So they know that the Son of Man is the king that's coming, but they have no idea what type of kingdom it's going to be. The Pharisees were right, only God can forgive sin, but they were wrong in thinking Jesus was not God. The reason Jesus said your sins are forgiven is because He has authority to forgive sins. I think it's, it's interesting here when He says your sins are forgiven, and the fact that only God can forgive sins. Let's say, Robbie, me and you are hanging out and something happens and I do something wrong to you. And then Carrie says, that's all right, Ben, I forgive you. There'd be a disconnect, right? I didn't do anything wrong to Carrie. I wronged Robbie. Only Robbie could forgive the wrong that I did to him, not Carrie. And that's what the wrong committed was before God. That's why only God can forgive sin. That's why we believe that our sin is before God. That's why David, though he wronged Bathsheba and Uriah, ultimately it was before God. Your sin is ultimately before God, and you need God to forgive you of your sin. That's why if you, if you ever came in here and confessed your sin to me, I can't help you out. Because your sin is before and against God. You need God to forgive you of your sin. And so when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he's saying, yes, the wrong that you committed was before a totally awesome and righteous and holy God, and that's me, and I forgive you. Only Jesus can do that because he's fully God and fully man. But then he says, which is harder? What do you guys think would be harder? To forgive sin or tell the man to get up and walk? What do you guys think would be harder? Personally, I think it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven. Can you prove that? Not until I stand before God. And that happens through death or Jesus' return. And by then, nobody in the room is going to know or remember. But I think it's interesting. Jesus does both. He says, hey, just so you know what type of authority that I have, hey, man, get up, take your mat, go home. And that's exactly what he does. Why does Jesus do that? So that they know He has the authority over sin and the power to forgive. Now, I said it was easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say get up and walk. But do you know how hard it was for Jesus to forgive? you know what it cost Him? His life. Right? When Jesus says what's easier, here you see Jesus is marching towards the cross. And so our sins are forgiven, and it, it might not be difficult for Jesus to say, but understand the costliness. He lays his life down on the cross, rose from the grave, defeating sin and defeating death. The grave couldn't hold him, and that is very, very good news. And because he defeated sin in the grave, you and I might experience forgiveness. So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, obviously that would be, I would say, more difficult. But he needed these guys to know that he had that authority. So he says, get up and walk. Man, how, 
how would you react if you were in the room? Let's say all of a sudden we hear these tiles start coming down and some guy comes and poof, lands right here. And Jesus is just like, well, I was kind of in the middle of my sermon, guys. He doesn't. He just says, hey, man, your sins are forgiven. Like, well, that's it. And then he says, hey, man, get up and walk. He gets up, takes his mat and runs out that door. Can you imagine what would be going through our heads? And that's exactly what Jesus does. But you, you know what? Jesus is still healing people. There are drug dealers and liars and murderers and who knows what else all around this neighborhood, all around the people that you go to school with and that you work with. And they might not be paralyzed physically, but they are dead spiritually. And they need people to carry them to Jesus. And what you will see is Jesus bringing dead people to life. And you will see guilty people that are held down in sin and shame, freed because of who Jesus is and what he does. And it's eternally miraculous. And Jesus does that. That's what you see in this text. There's nothing like this. Danny Aiken summarizes this point, and, and then we'll move on to the, the next passage of just a couple of verses. Coming in faith to Jesus, this hurting man received more than he expected and exactly what he needed. He received the full forgiveness of his sins. He and his friends believed Jesus could meet their deepest need. They were simply wrong on what that need really was. So I want to be careful here because you see the four friends and the relentlessness with which they brought a friend to Jesus. But I want to make sure that right now that you have this settled in your heart, that your greatest need in your life is Jesus. It's not another job. It's not another degree. It's not a girlfriend or a boyfriend, a better wife or a better husband. Your greatest need is Jesus. I want you to see that in this text. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. And God is reminding you that, hey, when you come to Jesus, Jesus will meet your greatest need. And he gives you himself. So that's the primary point of this passage. But then we, we keep reading. You see, the greatest doctor is Christ. The people were hungry for the word. You see that again. And then there's Levi. And I think this is in red. They're on the sea. There's this tax booth sitting there. And so Levi's just taxing people. And here's the thing. There's not a close representation of what a tax collector is like today. He was hated among the Jewish people, of which were Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Those two brothers. Remember last week, Jesus called two groups of fishermen, two sets of brothers to follow him. And they leave the boats, they leave the Father, and they follow Jesus. Well, they're in the same similar location, walking down the sea, and there's this tax collector, and my guess is Levi has taken advantage of the four fishermen before. And here's the deal. As a tax collector, you charge people a certain tax that you have to give to the Romans, and then the incentive is anything you make above what's required, you get to keep. And the tax collectors had the Roman power backing them. And so they stole from the people. They were wealthy people, but they were isolated socially. And here's Levi. Jesus is coming by. He's like, oh, I know these suckers. I got them. That's not what happens. Jesus says, 
Hey, follow me. Levi closes up the tax booth and follows Jesus. Now, this is very important to understand. You have four fishermen that can't stand tax collectors following Jesus already. What do you think they're thinking? Uh, Jesus, I don't know if you know this. He's not visiting the tax booth. He is the tax collector. Isn't it amazing who Jesus brings together? And did you guys catch it in Daniel? The Son of Man, His kingdom is forever. But did you also notice that people are coming from every tribe, tongue, and nation? I also want you to see this with Levi. Levi was known for being a tax collector. But do you know who this is? This is the man that goes by Matthew, who wrote the first book of the New Testament through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Gospel of Matthew, who gets the word to millions of people through walking with Jesus and writing down exactly what Jesus did. You see, here's a cool principle. When Jesus calls a man or a woman after him, he doesn't call who they were. He calls them who they will become. You see, when you come to Christ, you're a new creation. Old is gone, new has come. In Christ, you're no longer a sinner separated from God. You're a sinner forgiven. And your righteousness is given to you through Christ. And so when he called the fisherman, he says, hey, you're, you're fishing for the wrong things. You're going after fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's a changed identity with a different purpose. And that always happens for those in Christ. Doesn't care who you were. He knows who you are in Him and who you will become in Him. And so maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, I've never made a big difference for God. I, I don't know. My past is pretty bad. Join the club. Those are the only people that Jesus used. And that's exactly what this text is about. Because you know what happens. Levi following Jesus, and guess who he brings with him? He's a lot like the four friends that brought the paralyzed man. Levi doesn't come by himself. He knows a bunch of tax collectors and what the, the religious people would call sinners, people known for what they have done wrong. He says, hey, come on, come on, come on. you, you got to hear this guy. you, you got to come hear the Word of God spoken by the Son of God. And, and you see, Jesus is just chilling out at the home with tax collectors and sinners eating, and then the scribes and Pharisees show up, and listen, scribes and Pharisees, they were doing a lot of the right things. They would show up to church on time. They would give the right amount of money. And they thought that they could earn their salvation. They didn't think that they needed someone else to purchase their salvation for them. They thought they could work their own way back to God. And they come to the disciples and they come to Jesus like, hey, why are you hanging out with these guys? What do you have to do with them? And that's why Jesus says, Hey, uh, I haven't come to hang out with the righteous people. I've come to call the sinners to repentance. When do you go to a doctor? Obviously, you've got checkups. I'm not saying anything against yearly checkups. Do that. But usually when you're sick. You know, here's the, the crazy part. I do a little jujitsu. I go enough to, to get whooped on. At the, the, I'm trying to get back in shape. But we had two guys there that are just a little bit older than me and better shaped than me. All of a sudden start to get winded. And then they started breathing heavy. 
One guy passes out on the mat, ambulance is called, he goes to the hospital, finds out that he had a heart attack. Artery was shutting, had a stent put in. He's already back on the mat. This was last year. Already back on the mat, rolling around, doing well. Feels great. La right, so it was two months ago now. Two months ago, the guy that teaches the, the children's class and then rolls and learns, and all of a sudden he starts to get wins. like, man, I thought I was in better shape than this. Then he started throwing up on a Saturday morning. And the guy leading the class is like, hey, man, I think you need to go to the hospital. He's like, oh, I, I need to walk this off. I'm, I'm just a little rust. I'm, I can't. Let me catch my breath and then I'll be all right. Keeps on throwing up. And then the guy's like, man, I think you're having a heart attack. Calls an ambulance, takes him to the hospital. He was having a heart attack. Had stents put in his heart and now he's back. He can breathe. It's an amazing thing. When your heart's beating, you can actually live. When it's not, it's not good. Both guys thought they were healthy, but they weren't. Now, this is very, very important to understand in this passage. Jesus is not saying, hey, you're healthy, you're good, you don't need me, fine. What he's saying is, you think you're healthy, you think you don't need me, that's fine. I can help you. But those who know they are sick, those who know they are sinners, can find salvation. If you think you can make it in this world without God, go for it. But if you need a Savior... His name is Jesus, and He invites you to come to Himself. That's what this text is all about. That's what this text is. There are no healthy people. There are no righteous people. There's just those that think they are, think they're right enough. Have you ever turned to Jesus, repented of your sin and trusted in Him? Have you found your deepest met, need met in Christ? <clears throat> There's so much in this, and I want to leave you with this. I get this picture of Jesus just hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And I think sometimes for, for those of us that have been raised in the church, uh, there's a tendency to go to this holy huddle aspect where we hang out with church people and we don't have really a bigger... And we're like, oh, I get this when, when uh, students at, at school know that I'm a pastor. Like, oh man, I can't cuss now, right? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm the same person you were cussing around before, like, but there's like this disconnect. Like, I can't be this. I think this is important. It's called the proximity principle, right? If you're going to reach lost people, you've got to be around lost people. If you're going to reach a coworker for Christ, you've got to get close to the coworker, share the gospel with them. If you're going to reach a neighbor, you've got to get close with the neighbor. If you're going to reach Covington, you've got to rub shoulders with people that live in Covington, right? And I'll use this illustration. There was a book called Just Mercy, written by Brian Stevenson, and he was talking about how his grandma would give the most aggressive, intrusive hugs on the planet. He said that she would grab him and almost suffocate him and hold him a little bit too long to be comfortable with. But she made this statement. She goes, you can't understand the most important things from a distance, Brian. You have to get close. You see, Jesus in chapter 1 heals a man with leprosy. Now, in this day and time with Jesus, you don't go around people with leprosy because it's contagious. And you definitely don't touch them because then you get leprosy. And Jesus goes up to the man and he touches him. And he's showing his disciples, hey, there's a new king in town. The king is here and his kingdom's coming. And the amazing part is when Jesus touches the man with leprosy, Jesus doesn't get leprosy, the man gets healed. And then he's walking down and there's this tax collector, 
You don't talk to social outcasts. You don't associate with guys like that. But you, you want to know what happens? Jesus doesn't become unrighteous by hanging out with the sinner. The sinner becomes righteousness because now he's a new creation in Christ. You see how Jesus is flipping everything upside down? Now this is very, very important. Because some people have taken this passage like, well, I'm going to go to the bar then and hang out with a bunch of guys, grab some drink. They're all hanging out with Jesus because they decided, if you saw it, to follow him. To follow him. When you're following Jesus, it's amazing who God will bring along with you on the journey. You'll have people that shouldn't be hanging out together, that has no, have nothing in common from a worldly standard, but they're united because of what Christ has done. And that's one thing I love about this church. We've got a unique group. We've got people with all different backgrounds doing all different stuff. But you want to know what's in common? We were sinners in need of a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Amen. And in Him, we are one. And so I wrote down some six application points. This is what I want to do. I want you just to read them, look at them, because I think each one hits differently. And there's a lot of other things that I've left out. But I do know this. This is the Word of God. And we have to apply this word to our lives. What is God asking you to do in response to his word? Maybe it's, uh, you know, I know Jesus, I know mentally that he is my greatest need, but I've been striving after this, thinking if I just had this, I'd be happy. Maybe you need to turn from that. And you need to ask God to forgive you of your sin and remember that Jesus is your greatest need. Maybe you've been thinking, and I've asked a lot of people with, with homes, like how do, we, how do we fix homes? How do we become from a one-star to a two-star, eventually to a five-star school? Uh, and there's so many different opinions that we have, right? So better curriculum, better teachers, better principals. And the list goes on. What's the greatest need at Holmes High School? Jesus. Jesus. And guess what? The greatest need at Connor High School? Jesus. And the greatest need at fill-in-the-blank your school or your place of work? Jesus. And maybe we need to be reminded, maybe it's a lack of hunger for the Word of God. You showed up and you're like, man, I wish this guy would stop talking. Maybe it's you haven't brought anybody to Jesus in a long time. Maybe you don't trust that Jesus can do anything. Right? Can you imagine disappointment when the guy's let down and he didn't heal him physically? I wonder if that's us sometimes. Like, man, I've shared the gospel before. I asked somebody at church and nothing changed. And so what difference does it make? Man, trust Jesus that he'll do exactly what he said he'll do. Maybe there's someone on your heart right now that, you know, I haven't invited this guy to Christ. I haven't spoken anything about God to this lady. And maybe God's laying that person on your heart right now and you need to have that conversation this week. I do know this. There's so much in these few verses that God has changed in my life just this week. How I look at people, how I see that the greatest need can be met in Jesus, and here I am, I know that. I just got to share it with people. However it is, make a commitment to follow Jesus, just like Levi did. Follow Him in whatever He's leading you to do. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Son. Thank you for him going to the cross, dying in our place, shedding his blood so that our sins can be forgiven. So, Father, help us see and know that Jesus is our greatest need. 
Help us treasure him above anything this world has to offer. And then help us follow him. Wherever he leads, help us walk with him. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.